This is Jules, lead pastor of TFH Oakland. We exist so that people far from God can experience a fulfilled life in Christ. For more information on how you can stay connected, follow us online at TFH Oak or visit us at tfhoak.church. So we're starting a new series. It's, uh, I'm really excited about it, just on its title alone. We're starting a series called Hood. Yeah, that's the name of it right there, Hood. You're like, well, oh, Pastor Jules, how does this work out? I'm going to explain it. For the next three weeks, we're going to talk about how servanthood impacts our neighborhoods. We're going we're to actually talk about the hood component because every single one of you are part of a hood, whether it's hood or whether it's uppity, whether it's, it's bougie or it's bougie ghetto or it's just ghetto. Yeah, you have a hood. And some of you came from the hood, started from the bottom, now we're here. Okay, two people, I like it. But most importantly, what I really feel like God has called us to do is to understand not only the authority, but the principle that God has instilled in believers to go into neighborhoods and to parts of the community and to be able to be a beacon of light and to show hope. It was super interesting. We were shopping yesterday and we got into an elevator and elevators are, have become really awkward now. Have you noticed that? Because you get into the elevator and you're like, oh, I don't got my mask on. I got to put my mask on. And then you're like, I don't want to be around people. <laughs> Some of you have freaked out, like you get in the elevator, and then we're at that like dreaded, like, you know, that double Dutch elevator moment where you're like, do you want to get on the elevator with me? And then they look at you and be like, I'm not sure that I trust you or who you came with, so I'm not going to get on the elevator. I'm going to take the next one to get on the elevator. And it was super interesting. We got on the elevator, and Lon and I were talking, and I just, there was a lady that jumped in the elevator, and I said, hey, how are you? And she said, are you talking to me? I'm like, you're the only person in the elevator. <laughs> and she said these words. She said, I'm just so used to no one talking to me that I didn't even know how to respond to that. I was like, dang, what have we done? See, I, I think we need an overhaul on how we neighbor. I think we need an overhaul, especially in the community. And today, uh, it's not going to be a day where I give you a bunch of stats of how we can spiritually gentrify neighborhoods. No, today is a call of action and a call of responsibility because there are people that may not be in the elevator with you, but they're in that same apartment complex. They're actually in your family. Shoot, some of you came in the same car today. There are people that are close to you that are far away from God. And if we are going to have the mentality of Jesus, there is a responsibility that all believers that say, hey, I follow Jesus to be able to be a light and to show them what does it really mean to love God and to be loved by God. We're going to look at a couple of verses of Scripture because that's what we do as believers. We trust the Word of God. And we're going to jump into a part of Scripture called Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 6. This is a very cool verses of Scripture uh, because Jesus is returning home. Jesus is going back to his hood, back to his location, back to his residence. And the, the first time that Jesus had came home, they tried to kill him. He walked into the synagogue and he says, hey, the spirit of God has come upon me to bind up the brokenhearted. Like God has called me to do work in this city. And they were like, oh, you think you are all that. You think you've got all of this. And so they literally took Jesus to throw him off of a cliff. Now, if you went back home for the holidays and your uncle and auntie tried to throw you off a cliff, I wouldn't encourage you to go back home. You know what I'm saying? I would say, you probably should just stay local, staycation, you know, just, just kick it here. But Jesus not only shows up, but he shows up with his disciples. And he has a completely different response. And Jesus is marveled. He's actually overwhelmed by the response that he sees. 
It's interesting that in scripture that Jesus is marveled by two things, someone's faith or their lack of it. When he went to the Jewish people, they were anticipating the Messiah, but Jesus did not have the veneer. Jesus did not have the status. Jesus did not have the reputation that they assumed that their Messiah, their leader, their revolutionary was going to have. And so they did not accept Jesus. And then Jesus goes to the, the, the Gentiles, the people that have no concept about God, the people that were the furthest away from God. And he's marveled by their faith. Now, you have to understand that when Jesus went home, it's not much different than when some of us go home. Because when Jesus goes home, there was always this discussion about, remember Mary and Joseph? Mm, you know how Jesus got here, right? You know how he got here, huh? You don't know? You don't know how Jesus got here? Well, I heard Mary and Joseph, they was in the wagon, in the back seat of that wagon. And then it was like, it's immaculate conception. Like, he just appeared here. Babies don't appear out of nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Be fruitful and multiply, but you didn't hear that from me. Like, when Jesus went home, these are the conversations. This is the air that's in the room. People were like, Jesus the carpenter? Bro, I remember little nappy-headed Jesus. Little nappy-headed Jesus would come. You know, little nappy-headed Jesus didn't have no common sense. How, how are you a Messiah now? He was a carpenter. He was a woodworker. Nine to five, blue collar. Now he healing people? I don't believe it. No way. Jesus doesn't avoid that. He embraces it. See, here's the crazy thing. All of these people thought they knew Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus fully. They didn't know what had become of Jesus. Here's one of the things that you should hold on to if you're new to the faith. As God is working in your heart, many, of may, many people may want to anchor you to your old identity. But it's your responsibility that when you go back into those environments, you are confident of who you are in Christ. And sometimes you have to inform people of what you've been transformed into. And if you get caught up in that environment, it is easy to go back to those old habits and become what people assume you to be. When you was out in them streets and you go back with that sisterhood, can you hold on to the transformation that you've gained in Jesus Christ? When they knew you as the dude that always had numbers and names in that phone, you always had multiple pieces and side pieces and thighs and legs and Popeyes and KFC. Shoot, you go to anywhere and get a leg. Can you hold on to the transformation that God has started in you? And Jesus comes into this environment that is not conducive for faith. That's not conducive for miracles. And this is what Jesus experienced. In Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it said, Jesus left there and went to his hometown and his followers went with him. On the Sabbath day, he taught in the synagogue. Many people heard him and were amazed, saying, where did this man get these teachings? What is this wisdom that he has given to him, that, that has been given to him? And where did he get the power to do miracles? He is just the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters are here with us. So the people were upset with Jesus. And Jesus in verse 4 says this, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown. He says, someone that is called by God, they are so closely connected to an old reputation. People have become so familiar with them that they're not able to accept what God is doing in their life. And he says this, so Jesus was not able to work any miracles there except to heal a few sick people. 
by putting his hands on him. These words should resonate with us. He was amazed how many people, how many people had no faith. Jesus was marveled by that. It's only, I think, maybe three or four times that Jesus says that he was marveled by someone's faith. And this is the first time that we hear in Scripture that Jesus was marveled by their lack of it. I think there's something really interesting in this. Because we have to be careful that we don't become so familiar with Jesus that we lose sight on how big and how great and how powerful he is. And there's something that has happened in our community. There's something that has happened in the Bay Area and has happened in the Bay Area for far too long. And I believe that God has called us to not only just see the unbelief, but to be people that know how to bring faith and hope and love into situations that are destitute, whether it be at home, on Zoom, in our workplaces, in our family. So today I'm gonna ask, how hood are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your ability to transform our lives. Jesus, I pray you would convict us. I pray for those that are on the spectrum of they've been following God for thousands of years. And Lord, they're just new to the team. Lord, let us never become so familiar with you that we forget, Lord, what you're capable of with our lives, yield it to you. We ask, Lord, that you give us clarity in this, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Now, the question I wanna ask for you this morning is how hood are you? Uh, Now, some of you are thinking like, man, I know how hood I can get, you know what I'm saying? Because a certain song come out and you just, you know, you just hood. And then there's probably another group of people who are like, I'm not hood at all. And I have to be honest, I'm a little in the middle. I have hood-like tendencies and then I have like, nope, I don't know what that was. You know what I'm saying? I'm a little scared. I don't know what's gonna happen. So wherever you are on the spectrum of hood, you're in good company. We're all figuring it out. And there's different kinds of hood because you know what I'm saying? You go to, we go to, we, <laughs> there's different kinds of hoods, ain't that right? Because you go to Alabama, <laughs> that's a whole different kind of hood. And I mean, you know, being hood is, is something that we actually applaud in nowadays. You know, because people want a little bit of hood. They want a little bit of ratchet, like I'm ratchet and I'm, I don't know the songs, I'm sorry. I'm not that hood. I have my wife, he holds it down. But one of the things that you can understand is, is you know, I, I, I drew up some couple of things of, because being in the Bay Area, how many guys know the Bay Area is a different city to live, or a different area to live in, be in the Bay Area. You could distinguish gunfire and uh, fireworks, you know what I'm saying? That's how you know. You're like, wait a minute, that's pretty scary. Yeah, it's true. Some of you are new to the town, like, wait a minute. I thought it was just the Raiders. No, it's, it's Oakland. You know what a sideshow is. People are like, what's a sideshow? Is that a Christmas special? What is that? No, 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 no. This isn't just music, you guys. This is a whole mentality. But how many of you guys know uh, there are people in the room right now, you're like, I'm not hood. I, you know what, Pastor Jules? I'm, I'm good. If something goes down, I don't know what to do. I just stay there. You know what I'm saying? Something pop off, you just. I came for the wings. I didn't know this was going to turn into this. I, I just came for the wings. That's how I am. You know what I'm saying? Because certain sounds will just trigger people. Like certain sounds, people like, pop up, and people just like, it's just a balloon. Calm down. You grew up in the hood, I know. There's an aspect of this that can be flattering in our, in our, in our society kind of like really champions this. But the devastation of, of hoods is actually a, a very traumatizing. Like when you live in, a, in an area, in a community that has been exhausted financially. And many of you have even come out of places like that. They're like, I am never going back to the hood. I am never going back to that area. I am never associating with those people ever again. You see, 
we, we champion it because it looks cool. And if you're ever in a fight, you want somebody that got a little bit of hood in them. It's just true. Like, hey, if you make apps and that's what you do, more power to you. But if a fight break out, I'm finding my hood friend. You know what I'm saying? And my way my family was raised, I have the Negro Sons of Anarchy. That's the way my family is. I am the squarest one in my entire family. Everyone else, everyone else. <laughs> so me coming back to the Bay Area, they were like, bruh, like, you know, I know you love God and everything. You going back to the town? I'm like, yes, I am. Going to show them the love of God. Going to do it. Like, bruh, you sure about that? God's got my back. It's going to be good. But it's interesting because what I, what I want to do today is, is two things. I want us to together explore some of the brokenness that people have experienced by growing up in the underbelly of urbanization. But simultaneously, talk about your responsibility to bring change into those areas of brokenness. And at the same time, do something spiritually applicable for those that are coming in of, how do I live this life of following Jesus? And I go back home and God has started something in my heart and I don't know how to show that to those that are far away from Christ. I have these two responsibilities, so this may be a little bit complicated, but with your help and the help of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to navigate through this. Because what Jesus did is so profound. Because Jesus, he not only returns home, but he doesn't return home alone. He doesn't go back to a place called Nazareth where he grew up, which was a low-income, blue-collar society. It was literally something, it was quoted in Scripture. In the canonized words of God, if God is articulating truth and hope and peace, and he put this in there, there were words that were said about Jesus' hometown where they said this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from the location, the family, the upbringing, the education, the place that this man grew up in? Can anything good come out of it? Jesus is not just a stat. He's not just a, a product of his environment. But Jesus, by the power of God, is illuminated and is now walking in signs and wonders and power and miracles. And Jesus comes back to his hometown, the same hometown that tried to kill him. Jesus has something in his heart to begin to preach to them and show them the love of God. Now, this is crazy. Because especially in urban communities, especially for people of color, when you come out of a community that was broken, that was violent, that was traumatized, the best thing that you could do is head to the suburbs to avoid those places. The best thing that you can do if you move to a city for the first time is to find a place of safety, and you should, and everyone deserves the right to be able to grow up in an environment where they are encouraged to be healthy, where they're encouraged to experience love, where they're encouraged to be able to have the freedom to walk down their street unpenalized because of what they look like or what they wear or don't wear. And so when we talk about areas that are being traumatized that are beyond these borders, we should have a heart to be able to look overseas and say, yes, young ladies should be able to walk down the street in freedom because God created them with life and with dreams and with hopes. And also there is a tug in a pool because I see the violence that is happening over there, but I also see the problems that are right down the street. 
And I struggle as a pastor to have this bandwidth of compassion to care for all of those that are over there. But I cannot help and hope and believe that if Jesus went back to a city that was broken, a city that tried to take him out, what is the mandate for a believer to go into a place of corruption, of homelessness, some of us have experienced trauma by being in areas and communities, and we have never recovered from that trauma. And if we were honest, there's something in our heart that says, I would rather avoid that community because it brings back old memories of how I had to overcome. And there's other people that are on the spectrum that's like, man, I'm not going down that street simply because I don't know who they are. And I'm not quite sure that I want to. And the reason why this is important for our church is because our church is built fundamentally on this principle that God has called us to love the town. And guess what? You don't have to go to the hood to understand the servanthood that Jesus has called you to do. You don't have to go to the ghetto in order to fulfill the purpose of God that is on your life. Because there are people that are equally far from God that are living in your apartment complex. Some of you, you are sleeping in the same bed with the people that are far away from God. And if Jesus is willing to go to that length to remind them of who God is, how are we? How willing are we? And Jesus begins to show us in this. One thing that I want us to understand is that God has called us to see its city transformed. You don't have to write this down on your seat. There was a little card that was given to you. And I believe this is God's design, God's plan for TFH Oakland to transform a city. As I was driving, I wrote this down. I just felt like the Holy Spirit had told me this. And it was one life at a time, one house at a time, one block at a time. This is a mantra. This is a mandate. This is a design that I want you to adopt for your life personally. And I want you to think this way. Where who is one life, one person that matters to God, but God doesn't matter to them? Who is one person in my sphere of influence that God has connected me to, but they are disconnected from God. And how can I, with God's strength, God's supernatural grace, reach out to them and show them a glimpse of who God is, not just who, what church is, but who God is. Where has God called me to live? We are now living in a world where transition is inevitable. It's called a transition tsunami. Everybody is moving. Everybody is quitting. Everybody is transitioning. And so the ability to be a neighbor, we don't even know what that looks like or what that means because we're always in flux. But Jesus gave a great commission and he said, go into all the other regions. But what you, before you do that, I want you to start in your neighborhood. I want you to dedicate that this area is, belongs to God. It says this in Jeremiah 29, verse 7. It says, also do good things for the city where I sent you. He says this, I sent you as captives, but pray to the Lord for the city where you are living. Because if good things happen in the city, guess what? Good things will happen to you also. Let's say that together. If good things happen in the city, good things will happen to you also. One more time. If good things Good things will happen to you also. This series is about doing good things in our city. One life at a time. One house at a time. Maybe it's your family that needs Jesus. This week, this month, we're going to commission ourselves to begin to pray for them and to ask God to use us. Yes, God will use you to see lives transformed in one block at a time. And I believe that this is going to be the essence of how we see dream centers pop up in the city of Oakland. 
of focusing our attention of one life at a time, one house at a time, one block at a time. And it's going to require time. It's going to require commitment and compassion. But this is what Jesus did when he went back home. It says in verse 6, it says Jesus left that part of the country and he returned with his disciples. And in the process of returning with his disciples, he begins to get on Sunday, the Sabbath, which was Saturday at that time, and he begins to teach. And as Jesus is coming back home, he is, fed, he is met with ridicule. He's met with chastisement. And he begins to go back and he begins to push back on their unbelief. The question I have for you this morning is, where is your spiritual hometown? Where is that place that you would avoid going back to? Where is that group? Maybe it's that family. Maybe it's that specific location. But I believe all of us have a spiritual hometown. It's the place that God has brought us out of, but God could be calling us back into. It's the place where we know and understand that level of brokenness, that level of trauma, that condition, and how that affects. And it doesn't have to be a specific location. It could also be a mentality. It could be a mindset where you grew up in a family where divorce ran rampant, where violence, physical violence impacted your home. You understand that trauma and you don't want to go back there, but maybe God is calling you to go back into those places or to be in specific areas of community where you can bring light into that bondage. You can bring hope into those areas of trauma. You see, many times we avoid the pain and what we've walked through, but God sometimes will redeem the pain in which we've walked through so that we can bring light into those places. Here's a concept that I want us to understand is this, is God forgets what we've done, but he doesn't forget where we've done it. Now, that may seem a little bit complicated, but it says in the the book of Micah, it says, you will again show us compassion and wash away our guilt and will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. What What this mindset is, is this, is God says, I forget all of your sins. When we come to God through Jesus and we say, God, forgive me, wash away all of my sin, wash away all of my brokenness. Lord, all the mistakes that I've made, the cheating on my taxes, the cheating on my spouse, Lord, all that I've done, fix me, make me whole. God is so gracious. He is so good. His well never runs dry that God can say, I forgive you and I forget it. I take your sins and I cast them to the deepest parts of the ocean and God chooses to forget. See, here's the thing. It actually requires more faith to forget. If you're going to be married any length of time, you will understand there are things that happen where you'll be like, I have to choose to forgive you, more so you to me. Because if I hold on to those things, it will turn into animosity and anger and frustration. But God chooses to forget. And so when you approach God, God no longer looks at your sin. He looks at you. God is the only person that knows who you fully are, were, and who you're becoming simultaneously. And he still chooses to love you. Everything that's in your history, everything that's in your browser, everything that you've done online or online, everything that you've done behind your mama's back, everything you did in your mama's room, everything you did in the basement, everything you did on the bus, you didn't even have a transfer, but you was on that bus doing the stuff. He knew you. And he chose to forgive you. But the gracious thing about God is this. He never forget where he found you. Just ask Adam and Eve. When they had sinned to God, God knew exactly where they were, and he comes into that situation. Adam, Eve, where are you? It's a rhetorical question. It's just us, God. Where are you? Because God knows where you are in the midst of that brokenness. You see, many times in our development 
whether it be economically or whether it be spiritually, we try to avoid those things in which we came from. But we have to understand that many times when God breaks you out of that mentality, when God breaks you out of that environment, you now have an authority to be able to speak into those areas of brokenness. And you don't have to go back into that situation and be overwhelmed by the toxicity. Now you can go back into that situation and can say, I am a full byproduct of the grace and the goodness of God. And if God can get me out of it, guess what? He can get you out of it. And they may not understand it always at first. You know, when I would go back home, the main thing that my cousins and my brothers would do, the, the best thing they wanted to do is to see me smoke a joint. That was like the main thing. They don't even call them joints anymore. That's how old I am. Smoke a joint. Literally, it was like, man, Pastor Jules, like, bruh, you know it came from the ground and God made the ground, right? Now you want to be a theologian when it comes to weed smoking. The only time you want to read the Bible is when he said, God told Adam, cultivate the earth. Like, you are so raggedy. But here's the thing. What God has brought you out of the tendency to want to forget those things. But that's where you fail. Man, forget what you've done, but don't forget what God has brought you out of. Don't allow that sin to hold you back into that old identity. Some of you, this is so practical. You're going to go home for the holidays and God has been doing something new in your heart and you have the tendency to revert back to those old habits, those old mindsets, or even better yet said, there are people that look at you in the old way that you used to live and you have to make a decision. God has forgotten my sin and what was associated with me. Though you remember what I did, but guess what? You need to have your, my profile updated in your phone because I'm a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. You see, the crazy thing is, is this, is that when Jesus was going back into his city, he had been exposed to the power of God and the goodness of God. And he comes back not only, not alone, he comes back with his disciples, but he comes back in power. Here's the crazy thing about hoods. Many people know about Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a household name, right? You guys know about Brother Bill? You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, I don't like Brother Bill. I don't know what he's doing with them needles. I don't know. I don't know. But here's the crazy thing about Bill. Bill is a billionaire. I mean, he's got money crazy. But you know the first time that Bill Gates actually discovered and was exposed to a computer is when he was 13 years old in his middle school? At that time, it would have been one in a million chance. There was only about 300 computers at that time, or I'm sorry, maybe 30 computers at that time that were actually placed into schools. And Bill Gates just so happened to go to the only school in that area of Seattle that had a desktop computer. And a part of having that computer, we don't hear. I even looked up on, uh, you know, encyclopedia that doesn't even mention this. It omits this information. But it was actually a group of moms that had did a fundraiser where they raised $3,000. And one of the school officials said, hey, let's take that $3,000 and let's purchase a computer for the school. It was one in a million chance for Bill Gates to go to that school to be exposed to a computer. And then in middle school, he will decide to run a Fortune 500 company. I don't know what kind of middle school is that, where they literally are 12-year-olds that says, let's build a Fortune 500 company. I want my kids to go to that school. But here's the crazy thing is this, the power of exposure. If Bill Gates did not go to that one in a million chance school where he saw a computer, he would never have become Bill Gates. If it's that 
mind-boggling, that explosive, that introducing the power of a computer and its computation that would bring Bill Gates out of middle school to then start developing programs on how to know when kids were at school and how to run payroll. This kid was 13 years old running payroll for the school. It's the power of exposure. But here's the thing. If we don't expose our hoods to the gospel, what if we're missing the trajectory of somebody else's life? That someone can miss out on the opportunity of being exposed to the love and the goodness and the transformative power of God. Maybe there is a moment that God could call you, call this church to say, not only am I going to expose them to Silicon Valley, but can I expose you to the love and the truth and how much God loves you and how much he cares for you. And if it's just getting to the elevator and saying, hey, how you doing? I'm going to be the first one to do it. If there's something that's going on and I realize there's a problem and I hear those screams down the hall, rather than turning an eye, I'm not going to run in there and just be like, hey, what's going on? Because you get knocked out. But when I see you in the laundry room, I'm just simply going to ask, how can I pray for you? What if you get the opportunity because you are exposed on a consistent basis to the love of God and you would think there's not a mandate, there's not a requirement, there's not a commissioning that God would put on your life, even beyond your personality, that says, can I too expose you to the goodness of God? But Jesus goes back and doesn't go alone. The practical application for this point of God not forgetting, God not forgetting where we are and what, where we've done those things that would be against him. God knows exactly where we are. But Jesus says, I can't allow that stigma, that toxicity to stop me from returning back to the place where God has called me to show truth. You see, many times there's a moment where God uses our past to intersect in our present. And many times people will use the Bay Area as a place to hide because you could do whatever you want to do. People don't judge. But if we allow our faith to become diminished and put to the side and never be the ones to say, I, I do believe in Jesus. I do believe that his power is still available today. And I'm not trying to expose you to religious trappings. I just want to expose you to the love of God. If we're going to see our neighborhoods transformed, it is deeply connected with servanthood. Jesus was willing to serve those that were even trying to kill him. If you're going to go back, go back with power. Let me tell you this. For some of you that are going to begin going back home for the holidays and you have toxicity in your family, if you don't start praying for that house right now, you will walk into that situation and that situation will overwhelm you. Before the holidays even start on your little card, your hood pass, Maybe it's the family that is so deeply connected to yours that you need to pray, God, give me the power, give me the confidence to have those conversations that I've avoided for years. Because Jesus, I want to see light show up and transform those broken areas of my hood. The second thing that Jesus does is this. Jesus shows the other side. It says this in verse 3. It says, then they scoffed at Jesus. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph. Judas and Simon and his sisters living right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Jesus goes back to his neighborhood. He tries to serve and they reject him. They were like, you ain't nothing. You got a degree, whatever. 
You're just Mary's old boy. And this was actually a derogatory term. This was a term that was demeaning because usually at that time to be associated with your mom, usually you would associate the child with the father. Joseph probably died at this time. He had been dead for some years. And so this is where that speculation of we know who you really are, Jesus. You Mary's son. And we know everybody loved Mary. That was a joke. It was a movie in the 90s. Cameron Diaz, phenomenal. But the association with Jesus, the stigma that is associated with Jesus. And Jesus had the temptation to just stay where he was in his lane. To just be settled and comfortable. Well, they just know me as Mary's son and that's just the role that I'm going to play. But Jesus says, now, I'm going to show you the other side. Because even though I'm Mary's son, guess what? I'm the son of God. Guess what? I I've been baptized, I've been washed, I've been made new. Blind people can see now. I don't know what's on your resume, Uncle Jeff, but blind people can see, okay? I turned water into wine. (laughs) Check it out on YouTube, (laughs) 50 million likes already, just saying. But here's the crazy thing is, we live in a society, we don't wanna show people the other side. It happens to me all the time, I hate it. You go to the campus where your kids go. I say, hey, how you doing? And that dreaded question. What do you do for a living? I'm like, dang it. Shouldn't have cussed on the way in here. I'm on the airplane. So, you're a happy guy. What do you do for a living? I'm like, dang it. I am a, a cultural transform. I mean, you can come up with a title now. You'd be like, I'm a cultural superhero. That's what I am. Go into a good area, try to save people and things. Because one of the things that I hate is this. When people know that I'm a pastor, they feel required to change right there. Not my family, though. They'll still cuss me out, but everybody else. I'm like, I don't care what you got. But here's the crazy thing is, in the recent years, there's been this hesitancy to just own up and be like, I love God. You see, many times we hide behind our careers. We hide behind our titles. We hide behind how people associate and view us. And Jesus does not hide behind a title, whether negative or positive. He shows up and he shows them the other side. And he says, guess what? I believe in the power of God. I believe the gospel is true. I believe that God is still working and moving. If you don't believe in me, that's fine, but I'm not gonna allow your belief to hinder my belief and what I understand about God. And he shows them the other side of who he is. You see, if you are afraid to represent Jesus in those areas that are compromising, you may be limiting what God can do through you in those areas. If we hide behind our careers and our statuses and we are, we are actually robbing people because somehow, somehow we are convinced that people don't want God. There's something in us that we've like lost it as Christians. Like, oh, they don't love God. Look at what they're doing. Do you not know that people are probably hungrier for God than ever before? 
What people don't want, they don't want religion. And that's what was going on with these people. Look what was going on with them. They had become so familiar with Jesus, they couldn't see the power that was in Jesus. They had seen so much and heard so much talk about Jesus, but they never saw the power about Jesus. Could it be that there are so many churches in Oakland equivalent to the amount of liquor stores, and maybe people have become so familiar with what they think about Jesus, but they've never experienced Jesus for themselves. So when you're talking to people and you're being a light, you are representing Jesus and people are over church. Thank God for you. You're not. Praise God for that. I'm glad you're here. But people are hungry than ever before because they realize their systems don't work. It doesn't work. Could there be one that can say this is my hood? I understand the trauma that you're going through. But guess what? There's hope. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, I'm a Christian. You'd be like, wait a minute, you vote for Trump? You did this? What does that mean? That's not what a Christian is. But maybe I can show you. Maybe you'll see in my life the joy and the hope that is in Christ Jesus. And here's the crazy thing. Getting back to the practical application. Some of you, you're going to go home or you're going to be around family and you have to make a decision. Are you going to choose to honor God? Are you going to choose to put God above your reputation that you've acquired? Other people will always try to associate of what you've done. God is the only one that says, I will associate with you of who you're becoming. Even while you're in the midst of the mistake. That's why when the Bible says that God it's closer than a brother. He sent my association with you. So when you are associated with Christ, you have to understand there is a spiritual, a supernatural work that God is doing in your life. And don't allow anyone to rob you of what God is doing in your life. Hold on to the new creation that God is doing. Here's the crazy thing is, is this. And we'll, we'll end on this. Don't allow someone's unbelief to limit yours. It says this in verse four, then Jesus told them a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to the place, except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And they were amazed at their, he was amazed at their unbelief. Here's the crazy thing is this, Do environments of unbelief limit what God can do? Do areas, arenas, circles, communities, even cities, do areas and environments limit what God can do of unbelief? Did their unbelief demagnetize Jesus' miracles? You know when you have your credit card in the pocket back in the day, you put your phone to it, and then you go to swipe, it's demagnetized. It has no power no more. And so Jesus was like, oh, I don't know what happened. I'm sorry. I've been praying, though. I'm not even saying I promise you. Sinless. He could do no miracles there. What happened? Was it their unbelief? Was it this environment? See, here's the thing. What unbelief does is this. Unbelief stops people from coming to Jesus. Their unbelief is what kept them from coming to Jesus. This city's familiarity with Jesus created a lack of belief. Jesus was not looking for followers. He was looking for partners. 
And what I mean by that is this, is Jesus was not looking for people to just be there and say, yes, I am a part of your group. Jesus was looking for partners to say, God, not only am I a part of this group, but I'm a part of your mission. I have your heart. I have your, I have your, your, your love and your desire, your compassion for this city. And here was the thing. They were so, they knew so much about him, but they were inefficient, insufficient in knowing who he really was. And here's the crazy thing. This epidemic not only affects unbelievers, it affects believers. It affects people who have followed God for a long time. Because what happens is sometimes you can be following God for so long that you start to lose faith on how big and incredible God is. You stop praying for those things. You just start living in that environment and you're like, this is just what my family is going to always look like. This is just what I'm always going to experience. This is just what's always going to happen. And Jesus would probably come to tell you today is this. Maybe you've become so familiar with me that you forgot what I can do in your life. When a city is oversaturated with religion, they think they know just enough about God to get by, but never enough to truly follow him, never enough to fully experience the love and the goodness and the provision of God. And if we are not careful, we too can become unbelieving believers to be so associated with Jesus, so familiar with him. But he's just a good guy and a good prophet. You know, I want to remind you today, one life at a time, one house at a time, one block at a time. And I never want to get to the place where I'm so familiar with Jesus that I give, I, I lose sight on what he's capable of. And so there's something in me to say, God, I don't want to become so familiar with you that I lose sight on how great and how beautiful you are. If you're not careful, this will happen in your marriage. Sometimes you have to remind yourself, wait a minute, what? I don't deserve you. Why? For you to be associated with, connected with me. Man, I love you. See, sometimes when you become so familiar with Jesus, you stop coming to him for the small things. You stop coming to him for the big things. Because you just got a relationship with Jesus. You know what Jesus told people that had become so familiar with him? You've lost your first love. I would rather you be further away than so familiar, familiar with me that you're not in love with me. If we're going to see a city change, we can't become so familiar with God that we stop praying big prayers. We can't be so familiar with Jesus that we stop coming to him. This is what happened to this group of people. They had become so familiar with who they thought Jesus was that they stopped coming to him. And so Jesus was only able to heal a few. But I believe that God's responsibility for us as a church are these three things. One life at a time, one house at a time, one block at a time. To do good in the city. To do good in a city that God would do good for us. What I'm asking you is this. As we conclude and we go into this series of hood, I want you to take spiritual responsibility for one life. Take spiritual responsibility for the area in which you live and take spiritual responsibility for our city. I want you to understand that your neighborhood is, is it's important to God and that God wants to use you to bring hope and light into your neighborhood. If I can have the band come up. 
There's something that I've learned over the last few years that there are times where I would get up in the morning and I would literally begin to pray. I pray for my life. I pray for the lives of the people that we minister to, a part of our church. I found myself walking around my neighborhood. If you're looking for a great resource on how to do this in a practical way, it's called Circle Maker. It's about literally a pastor that went into the D.C. area. And just by walking and praying in a block perimeter, he began to see God move in that area and lives were transformed. Revival was done in that city. Buildings were purchased in that area. And what he was doing was this, one life at a time, one house at a time, one block at a time. What I'm asking you to do is something very, very practical. Don't become so familiar with Jesus that you stop praying for these three things. We're going to take the month of September as we lead into the day of the first of October, where you have the opportunity to invite your friends to say, hey, can you come and watch church with me? Hey, can you come over to my house? We're going to worship together and eat. Kate, can you come over to my house? But take responsibility for your hood. The reason why this is important to God, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. You do good in the city, God will do good to you. We're going to come to a close, and there's two things that we're going to do. One, you're going to take that hood pass, that card. And I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, God, who have you called me to reach out to? Who have you called me to invite? Who have you called me to pray for? I want you to choose the location, even in the street in which you live. Maybe it's the block in the area in which you live. I want you to say, this area, I'm going to begin to pray. Every time I drive into this area, I'm going to ask for the goodness of God. Maybe you live in an area of trauma. Maybe you live in an area of affluence. I want you to begin to pray. God, I want you to use me and begin to touch these lives. God, I want you to pray for the city of Oakland. I want you to bow your heads as we begin to close. There's also another group of people as we begin to close in prayer is this. Maybe you've become so familiar with religion. Maybe you've become so familiar with church, but you don't fully know Jesus. Jesus says that he will associate with us, that he will be known to us as a brother, that he's closer than a friend. Jesus came to these people who didn't want him, who were indifferent to his presence. And some of us in this room, you may be indifferent to the presence of God. I want to let you know is this, is that God loves you. And there is an invitation for you to come to know him and to follow him. And Jesus asked this, that you lay all aside and follow me and I will partner with you. I will begin to heal you of the brokenness, the shame and the pain of the past, that I will make you a new person not just in avoidance of hell, but in pursuit of relationship with me. Some of us in this room right now, you may be familiar with church or maybe this is your first time, but you know you're far away from God. The crazy thing is, is God knows exactly where you are. If that's you, if you say, Pastor Jules, I'm far away from God, I've become so familiar with him, but I don't know him. And I wanna know God for myself. Every eye closed, every head bowed. The Bible talks about repenting. It's literally just saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I put before you. And if you're far away from him and you need to get right with him, you want to walk in relationship with Jesus, would you be so bold to just raise your hand and just say, hey, that's me. I'm far away from God. I need to get right with him. I love him. I love him. Jesus. 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 I love it. Take that same hand, put it on your heart. Father, we come to you today. Everyone in the room, just say, Father. I surrender. 
I give you my life. Take me. Everything I have, it belongs to you. Forgive me of my sin. And I choose to follow your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. God, I want to love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on how you can stay connected, follow us online or visit tfho.church.